We are going to continue in our series on walking in the Holy Spirit and what that looks like um, as, as individuals. And today we're going to specifically talk about it in light of um, as a church body. Um, we're going to talk about it in, in that way. Um, I want to remind you about where we've kind of come the last couple of weeks. The first week we talked about just kind of who the Holy Spirit is. You know, we talked about um, how we see the Holy Spirit moving um, in and throughout our lives and how important Jesus thought it was. Jesus himself said, it's, it's better for you if I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come, right? And like, that is something that I think many of us need to let resonate in our heart and in our minds because it's such an important concept of just how important Jesus thought it was. Last week, we talked about how even in the Old Testament, the Bible pointed toward the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming. The Bible talked about the Holy Spirit coming to this earth and carrying us, being the tie between the time of Jesus and the last days, right? Uh, I know many of you are watching what's happening online right now and feeling like this is it, right? Like I hear conversations all the times. I'm not here to say it's not it. Um, the disciples and the apostles thought it was it, right? Like for, for 2,000 years, it has felt like he is coming. And if it's another 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit will empower us as a church to reach the, the lost for Jesus, right? And if it's tomorrow or if it's this afternoon, the Holy Spirit has empowered the church to reach those who do not know Jesus for him, right? And it's been pointed, that, that, that middle feast, that Feast of Pentecost tied those two times together. It's, it's what takes us from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to those last days moments, all right? And it's so important. The Bible predicted it. Sometimes I think, like, even as, as people who grew up in Pentecostal churches, even, even if you've been doing this your whole life, sometimes I think we think of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament thing. When really the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is not an it. We always call the Holy Spirit it and Jesus and God him. I, I don't know why. I do that. I've, I've even said that at the beginning of this. And then if you watch through the sermon, you hear me still saying it. Why? It's him. It's part of God from creation until this point, like from, from the beginning until now, it has been the Holy Spirit right? As part of God. It's not a New Testament phenomenon. We can turn to any book in the Bible and find the Holy Spirit at work. Any book of the Bible. And yet, for some reason, so many times we think, oh, the Holy Spirit, that's Acts. And that's it. Listen, it is Genesis to Revelation that we see the Holy Spirit. It is from the beginning unto the end that we see the Holy Spirit moving. And it is such an important part of our lives. We're gonna continue next couple weeks. We're gonna talk about it kind of as a personal walking in the Spirit. But this week I wanted to talk about it as a church. 
right? I want to talk about it as a church. And it's important to get the context of what we're talking about right now. For those of you who are coming on Wednesday nights, you get to jump ahead seven chapters right now. Um, we're going through 1 Corinthians back there. We're going to jump ahead from where we've been to where we are. So we're, you're going to hear it twice, right, as we go through it. And if you come on our Wednesday night time. Um, but right now, I want to talk about this. You've heard me reference, if you've come to this church for any amount of time, and even if today is your very first time, you've probably heard me reference 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 when we talk about spiritual gifts in the church, right? And I'm here to tell you today, it's such an important thing. It's such an important thing, but I, I want to caution. Before I jump into this, I want to make sure you understand. When we're talking about walking in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give us gifts, but it is never about the gift. To walk in the Spirit is not to have a gift. To walk in the Spirit is to walk surrendered to the Holy Spirit, who is God. We don't chase a gift to have a gift because we want a gift. We chase a gift, we, we seek a gift because the Holy Spirit is the giver of those gifts and he says it's a good thing, right? We can't set our eyes on the gift as the end all, be all. It's about the Holy Spirit, not just the gifts he gives us, right? Like, we don't seek just salvation. We seek Jesus, and he provides salvation, right? Do we understand how this works? It's not about going after the result or the evident. It's about going after God, and then the result follows, right? You guys are really quiet. Right? Thank you. That makes me feel good. All right. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing this to a church in trouble. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you've heard me say this. Corinth was an, a very affluent city. Um, uh, as, as he writes to this, um, and it's called 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter we have. We actually just read he wrote another letter, at least one other letter to the city of Corinth. It's called Corinthians because Corinthian people lived in the city of Corinth. It was a major trade port, right? Both land and sea. It had so much money. It had so much diversity, in its city, which is not normal in this time. If you look at the cities of this time, they didn't really mix and mingle, right? If you were a Corinthian, you usually would have just stayed right there. That's a bad example because it was so much money in that city. But most people and most groups did not mix and mingle in this time. They lived in their own spots. They stayed in their own spots. They probably never traveled further than 10 or 12 miles from their home on average at this point in time. They only knew one language. It's how it happened. But Corinth is a place where we see all of this diversity, people from different ethnicities, people with different monetary social statuses, people with different languages all come together because it's a trade hub. And so all of that comes into the church and guess what happened? They started fighting because they were different and they all thought they were right. And in 2000 years, Nothing has changed. Right? I'd like to say it's wrong. But we see this happen. I know we can be better. But we see this happen where people come together and they just struggle 
and they fight and they bicker and they all think they're right. And then one of the things that you really see in Corinth is these people are trying to one-up each other spiritually. Oh, you follow Apollos? Well, I follow Jesus. And then somebody tries to really one-up the spiritual one-upsmanship and it's like, you follow Paul? Well, I only follow Jesus. Right? And you see this one-upsmanship that starts to happen and it's causing division. And Paul writes this letter into that division. And he starts talking about the spiritual gifts in context of the church body, right? Now that's important because we're about to read something that says they will not all speak in tongues. But that is not talking about a personal gift. That's talking about a gift that happens for the corporate setting. Okay, so understand context when we read through this. But let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So he says, listen, your background is that you've chased after wrong things your whole lives. Okay, just in case you missed what he said. What you came from is going after a bunch of created things that aren't really God. It's things that you made, speechless idols, right? Verse three, so I want you to know that no one is speaking, that no one speaking by the spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You cannot say Jesus is terrible and call it the spirit, right? Like you can't do that. That's not how it works. He's saying that it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can really come to Jesus. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Paul is saying it's different. It's more diversity. It's more, it's more things that are different, but it's all through the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Verse six, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse seven, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So we can help each other. You are not given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit of God so that you can be awesome. You are not given a gift by the Holy Spirit so that you can become famous. You are not given a gift by the Holy Spirit so you can feel important or so that you can spiritually one-up someone else. Your spiritual gift is for what? To help other people. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. It's about other people. And specifically, it's to help other people. And the Spirit gives these gifts. To one person, verse 8, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is one it is the one and only spirit 
who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Can we take just a moment? Can we just talk for a second that there is a difference between a natural, physical, or, or, um, or personality trait and strength and a spiritual gift? And they both can be good, and they both can be used for God and for others, but only one of them is a spiritual gift, right? Like if you were a person that just was born and you were one of those organized people, right? You were just, you were organized. How many of you are organizers in here? How many of you? I know there's more of you. You're organizers. Get your hands up. Organize it, right? Like, right? I very purposefully didn't signal with a hand raised because if you walk into any space that's mine, you will see how disorganized the person I am, right? Like, I'm a, but if that's just part of your personal makeup and you were that way before Jesus really took your life and the Holy Spirit gave you a gift, it's not a spiritual gift. It's just a strength. And I'm not trying to down it. God can use that, and you can use that for his glory. But a spiritual gift is something that's given by the Holy Spirit to us. He gives us that gift and expects it to be used for the glory of God and to help other people, right? So as we go through this, kind of keep those things in mind. All of these different types of gifts, right? All of these different types of gifts. Verse 12, he wants us to really understand Because he immediately understands that some of us are going to put more value on some than others. Right? It's funny how many times people are like, oh, I wish I had that gift. Or, oh, I wish I had that gift. Or, oh, I wish I was that one. That one seems more spiritual. And usually what's happening is they're talking about gifts that happen in front of people. But some of you are so introverted. You're like, thank God I don't have that gift. But immediately, Paul knows, writing to this church that's struggling with really being one body, I'm going to talk about all these differences by God, and they're going to immediately start comparing each other, because that's what they've been doing with everything so far. They're going to compare gifts. They're going to make it important. They're going to try and assess value to them, right? And so he starts talking about it. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. He's saying you're all the same. You might look different, you might sound different, you might have been raised different, you might have different financial means, you might have different ways about going about life, but when we choose Jesus, it all comes back to the same thing, and that is that we are the same. We're all the same in Jesus. Yes, the body has many parts, verse 14, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any, any less a part of the body. And if an ear says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. 
In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we must carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. He goes into this big speech, right? This big moment where he says, we're all different, but it's all the same. He uses very specific terminology about how some places we feel like we have to cover up, but it doesn't make it any less valuable. He goes into all of these things, right? I, I, you can just let your mind wander on that. I'm not going to talk specifically about that, but let me just talk about one thing that happened to me when I was in high school. I had never one time thought about stomach muscles in my life. Never one time. I, I didn't, right? Like it just wasn't one of those things. I never thought about sit-ups. I, I mean, like you did those things. I was in sports and I knew that there was a stomach muscle, but I never had thought, man, I really need to work that, right? I was young. I could eat six pizzas and still have a six pack. It was an awesome time. Um, uh, I never had to think about it until I pulled this one right here. And then it was all I could think about. Because every time I sat up, every time I laid down, every time I took a step, every time I lifted something, every time I bent over, every time I sneezed, every time I turned my head, I used that muscle. And it hurt every time. I never had thought about it until it was damaged. Until it couldn't do what it was supposed to do without pain. And then I, it was all I could think about. Listen, that's what he's trying to communicate to us through this whole thing. We are all necessary. You might not think about that stomach muscle all the time, but if it's not doing its job, nothing works right. And I want you to hear that right now. Follower of Jesus sitting in this room. If you do not use the spiritual gift that God has given you to help other people, our church can't function as well as it should. Period. Your spiritual gift is not showing up on Sunday morning and leaving right when I say amen. God has put something in you and he wants you to use it for his glory. Now, not all of those gifts are, are Sunday morning gifts, but it doesn't make them less important. Some of you have amazing, amazing gifts. They just aren't part of a stage on a Sunday or kids ministry. That doesn't make them less valuable and it doesn't mean the church doesn't desperately need them. For us to be all God has created us to be, we need you to walk in the gift God has given you. Period. That's what Paul is teaching us. We are one body and we need everything to be working together for it to really be maximized, for it to really do what it's supposed to do. Verse 27, 
All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have gifts of healing, those who can help others, those who have gifts of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So Paul is saying, desire the ones that are going to be the most helpful. Go to the Spirit and ask. Again, I want to point out that this is in context of the whole church body. The whole church body will never be made up of nothing but teachers. The whole church body will never be made up of nothing but prophets because we need all the parts, right? This isn't saying you're not all going to speak in tongues like individually. This is saying as a part of the body. That's spiritual gift. It's so important for us to seek them. And then he says this sentence, right? And this is, why, this is where I really want to land, right? This is where I really want you to get it. Because so far, we've talked about gifts and the body and how it's all part of it. And listen, to walk in the Spirit of God as a church body, we should seek the Holy Spirit and his gifts because then the church functions better. We absolutely should. But he says, let me show you a better way right after this. And then he gets to what I think is probably the most taken out of context portion in all of scripture. Right? He talks, we're in 1 Corinthians 12, what comes next? 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter. Almost exclusively preached at weddings has nothing to do with weddings. Okay, now listen. You can take concepts about love that he teaches us here and apply them to your marriage and to your life. But he is not talking about two people. He is talking to a troubled church who can't get along and he's talking about spiritual gifts coming in and then he says, and let me show you a better way. And he starts talking about how they should love each other. And he starts to say, we're gonna get there, but he starts to say, you can have all of those gifts, but if it's not guided by love, it doesn't matter one bit. Because it's not about a gift. It's about the giver of the gift. And if we lose sight of the giver of the gift, seeking the gift, we just missed. We just missed the point. Let's read it, okay? We just went through this whole thing on gifts. We've been given this background. I'm not, please hear me for just a second. Some of you just got really mad at me and now you can't hear anything because you said you think I said your wedding was a crock. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you can apply concepts to your wedding and that's not bad. It's not bad. I've talked about these verses in weddings. It's not wrong. It's just not the primary context at all. We can still learn. We can still apply it's just not the main context. Your 
wedding ceremony was great. Okay? Let's focus back on the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read it straight through. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels. Actually, let me go back. I'm going to go from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 29, and I'm just going to read through 13. Okay? Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gifts of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will be useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want you to hear it. If our whole focus is on a gift and that is not driven by a a love centered and fulfilled by Christ and then given to other people, we are still focused on childish things. That's what he says. We're like children, right? I love my kids. I love my kids. As my kids have grown, they've been able to understand more things, right? As young children, all they needed to know was, don't drink the bleach. <laughs> now they can know why. Don't drink the bleach because if you do, you will get sick and die. Their understanding has grown with their ability to comprehend. And Paul says right here, it's coming right on the heels of chasing after gifts of all these things. And he's saying, when I was a child, I thought childish things. But as I've grown, I've had to put them away. If our Focus is on the gift and not focused and guided by love. We are still operating in the childish things 
not the full development of what God would have us focus on. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, wasn't get out there and get it done. Right? He said, love God and love people. That's the greatest commandment. And he said, I will empower you for witness when my Holy Spirit comes. We are empowered to go out there and see people come to Jesus. Why? Because love for others is supposed to guide us. We are told as a body to seek helpful gifts for other people because love should guide us to make their lives and their relationship with Jesus better. And if we have all the gifts and we are so talented, everyone looks at us and is like, wow, what an amazing talent that person is. The Holy Spirit has really gifted that person. But love isn't what is guiding and directing us through that life. It's nothing. And that is not my word. It's Paul's. Love has to guide us as a church body with each other. As a church body and the greater church body. As a greater church body and the rest of the world that does not know Jesus yet. If love doesn't guide our actions and our thought process, then all the gifts in the world are just going to do more damage than good. So what does it mean to walk in the spirit as a church family? What does it mean to walk in the spirit in this group? It is to be so full of the love of Jesus Christ for him, for the Holy Spirit, who is all part of it, the Father, the Trinity, to be so full of love for God that it automatically transfers over to other people. And because of our love for other people, we want a gift from that Holy Spirit so we can help them be better. So we can help them grow in God. Not so we could be made great. Not so that someday somebody remembers our name. But because we love God. And we love people. And we want to be helpful. That's what it means to be a spirit-filled church. That's what it means. That's, part, that, that's why we seek what we seek. That's why we do what we do. If I would have asked at the beginning, when do you really feel like the spirit has moved in a church? We would have had a lot of answers, and I didn't want to put people on the spot. Some of them, most of them would not be wrong. They're just incomplete. Right? Like I remember as a kid, the spirit of God really moved when the worship team took over the whole service and the pastor never got to preach. That meant the spirit really moved. It moved him right out of his preaching time. I remember being a child and thinking the spirit really moved when I felt goosebumps. Listen, I'm not trying to down that. 
We can feel the Holy Spirit move. And sometimes we'll feel it, just like we sang this morning, in the pit of our stomach. That's just a piece. It's just a part of it. What does it really mean for the Spirit to move in a church service? What does it really mean for the, for the Spirit to move as a church body? It is to be full of love for God and for people and to seek a gift and use it for the betterment of other people. That's what it means to be a Spirit-filled church. That's not my opinion. We just read it this morning. When Paul is talking about the Spirit leading in a church service, this is what he's talking about. He actually goes from here into 14 where he has to do more correction because even after that, he is sure they're not going to get it. But the central part of it, the part that really brings it all together is this love chapter that for some reason only gets talked about for the most part in weddings. When really, it is about being full of the Spirit. So I want to encourage you today, right? I'm not going to do an altar call as such this morning. Um, I, I want to, you know, we've been kind of leading toward this. We're, we're moving toward next week. We're going to talk about this on the individual lives. But what I would really like you to consider this morning, what I would really like you to spend some time talking to Jesus about this morning, this afternoon, as we go on, as we come back tonight for the worship night at 630, and we just let the Holy Spirit operate and move amongst us, what I would really love for you to do is take some time and just do a little bit of evaluation. Let the Holy Spirit search out your soul and say, what is my gift? And am I using it selfishly? Am I using it at all? Or am I using it to help other people? And have I been so focused on my gift that I've forgotten? about the giver of that gift. Listen, this is a big deal. This is moving away from childish into grown-up things. This is understanding the whys and the hows behind the whats. This is moving from bleach can kill me from just don't drink the bleach right? We need to understand that we are given a gift and it is good and we should seek it for the betterment of others, but we can't get locked in on our gift and forget the giver of that gift. If our worship isn't pointed at God and our heart isn't full of love for him and other people, then we're really not operating how we should. And again, I feel like I can say that 100% black and white because we just read why. Paul didn't say, let me show you another way when he talked about love. He said, let me show you the best way. It is that important. It is that big a deal. Jesus, we thank you. God, you are so amazing. Jesus, I have, I have been stuck on the tangents so many times in my life. I have been stuck on secondary things. I, I've made small things big. I've made evidences the goal. I've made, I, I've just, I've gotten my mind 
outside of where it should be focused, which is always on you first. And then others second. But God, I don't want to hide in fear then and not seek a gift. Because you told me to do that. And so God, as I follow you, as I walk towards you, as I fall in love with you again every day and serve you, God, I pray that you help me to be focused on others right after you and how I can help. Take my gifts. The gifts you have given me and make it something that affects eternity. I pray that for everybody who's sitting here live, who's listening online. Help us to grow in who you are. In your name I pray. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday. Hope to see you back here at 630.